Welcome to the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia on the National Community Radio Satellite. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week, Australia's sacred cow slaughterhouse. Listen to analysis of local, national, international events. Listen to analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Here we are. It's the Anarchist World this week on the Community Radio Network, broadcasting across Australia, north to south, east to west, and around the world on the World Wide Web, 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. That's right, if you get called away, nature calls, the bikey next door needs a cup of sugar for his meth lab, don't despair, the program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. And if you wonder what anarchism is all about, anarchist society is a voluntary, non-hierarchical society based on the creation of political and social structures which are based on equal decision-making and equal access to wealth. Simple concepts. Where do I get this? Where do I get this from? Do I pluck it from the stars? No. Anarchos without rulers. How do you create a society without rulers? You devolve power, you share wealth. It's inequalities in power and wealth which are the major, not the only, but the major causes of many, many of the issues which I'll be discussing today which make life a misery for many people. And really, it shouldn't be a misery. It shouldn't be miserable. Now, let's start off. What are we going to start off with? Ah, Anglicans. Now, I love Anglicans. I love Anglicans especially. They're my favourite Christians, Anglicans. You know, formed by a king who was above the law, who executed two of his six wives because he was shooting blanks, who needed a bit of extra money so he took over the Catholic Church and all its properties. And guess what today? It looks like our, the boys and girls from the Anglican Church have learned nothing. Now, the federal government is under a little bit of pressure to change the current laws regarding discrimination. Not that it wants to change them, and I'm pretty confident it's not going to, but 34 august heads of private Anglican schools across this great nation of ours have written to Mr Morrison, ask, begging the man not to rattle the cage not to change the laws regarding their abilities to legally discriminating against employing certain people with a different sexuality in their schools because it could interfere with their, you know, the little kitty's religious education. Extraordinary. 
quite extraordinary when you think about it. It gets better. Now, I'm sure you all would have been overcome 10 days ago with the apology to the victims of uh, clergy abuse and the victims of institutional sexual abuse in this land over the last, what, 100 years, especially over the last 50 years. You know, it took, what, 50 years to get a royal commission because nobody was listening and if Mr Abbott had been Prime Minister, I can assure you there would have been no royal commission. Being a devout Catholic, as Mr Morrison is a devout something. I've forgotten what it is, some Pentecostalist or something. Who knows? I'm a devout atheist, in case you wanted to know. Not that it makes much difference. We all die, don't we? But we've had the apology and many abuse victims didn't expect much. I'm happy the apology occurred. I want a little bit more than an apology. It's a little bit like I come into your house, you know, rape somebody in your home and say, look, sorry, mate, sorry about that. Look, I didn't really mean it, I just just had a need, you know. Well, they're getting away if it's scot-free. The taxpayer is footing the bill for compensation. That's right, you and me, we're footing the bill. Not that the compensation payments are anything to write home to mum about, Pretty grossly inadequate, and many victim, many uh, survivors of uh, clergy sexual abuse will tell you that they're they're uh, you know not adequate. So why don't we have a new tax? Why not a five percent property tax on religious institutions who are shamed, named and shamed? in the Royal Commission into Institutional Abuse, what about 5% property tax on their property for the next 10 years to fund some decent compensation for their victims? Why not? They don't pay taxes or rates or government charges. And some of them are some biggest landowners and property owners on the face of Australia. So if they're employees, and they are employees, irrespective of the uh, kind of uh, legal shenanigans they get involved in as far as contracts are concerned, if their employees were responsible for the abuse, and more importantly, senior members of these institutions not only covered up the abuse, they ensured that the abusers continued to abuse, and in some cases for decades... So why is nobody talking about a 5% property tax? Now, if you're a small church, you don't have any property, you've got to rent a space or you meet in people's homes to, to worship, you've got no problems. But if you were named in the Royal Commission and you've got hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars of property in your name, irrespective of the legal uh, fantasies would occur in order to hide the uh, nature of the ownership of that property, what's wrong with a 5% property tax? And if you don't got the money, they could sell a bit of their property. Maybe one of their hospitals, or they don't have to sell their churches. 
you know, they own a number of hospitals around the place. Maybe they could sell it to the private sector, although they are part of the private sector. And that's the beauty, isn't it, about living in the land of Oz? We kind of just glide on. And the perpetrators continue to flourish. Stop taxpayers' dollars flowing into some of these churches or some of these religious institutions and organisations which were responsible for cover-up of a sexual... It's not just a matter of the sexual abuse, it's the cover-up, which is the big issue, the fact that it went on for so long. Why don't we just stop them giving them taxpayer money for a year? That would recoup a few billion dollars, which would maybe help compensate the victims to, you know, a small degree. This is the Anarchist World This Week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. Now, you know, most people who hear the Anarchist World This Week, you know, think we're a, you know, I'm a, I'm a nutter, you know? Let's be realistic. My ideas are stupid, you know? Never all happen. Nothing ever changes. Well, I was a bit surprised in the last 48 hours. Now, I've, all, I've been peddling the idea of a 1% stock market turnover tax now for decades as a way to recoup money from organisations which legally pay no tax while making hundreds of millions of dollars, if not billions of dollars of profit. And if you hit them at the point of purchase and you can actually exclude the small investor... Something comes back into the public coffers to pay for public education, public school, public infrastructure, public housing, and the list goes on and on. It would make sense, wouldn't it? It would make some sense. Well, it looks like the English Conservative government has been listening to the anarchist world this week. And they're now proposing to levy a 2% tax... On the digital pirates, a 2% turnover tax on any corporation, large corporation, as a turnover of more than £500 million. Isn't that nice? Isn't that nice to know that the British Conservative government under Madame May listens to the anarchist world this week and has taken a leaf out of our book, so congratulations. It would be nice, wouldn't it, if the federal government or the opposition actually took a leaf out of our book and uh, introduced that 1% turnover tax, digital tax, possibly a 1% stock market turnover tax. You know, think about it. Easy. In a digital economy where traditional methods of taxation are no longer relevant, unless you're a, some type of loser in small business like I am, where, you know, you still pay a fair share of tax. Wouldn't it be nice to have a turnover tax on, you know, stock market investors? You know, the market goes down $50 billion in one day. ka $500 million goes to the public purse in one day. The market goes up. You know, fifty billion in a day, ka-ching, another five hundred million. You could raise at least thirty billion a year, possibly up to fifty billion a year, to be used again for the common good, for the public, 
the many, not the few. You listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. My name is Joseph Scar. I'm hosting today's program. Arrogance. Yes, I can hear you say, yes, Joe, you are an arrogant double B. Double B. Arrogant. Well, I thought I actually had the gold medal for arrogance, but unfortunately I've been pipped at the post. Pipped at the post by the Corporatised Cricket Association. That's right. The governing body of Australian cricket. Scathing report. Scathing report about their arrogance. Scathing report about their win-at-all-costs mentality. Now, three of the players have got suspensions, which will drag on till the end of the year. But it's wonderful to see the board continue in its position. It's wonderful to see the head of the board, Mr David Peaver, get reappointed three weeks before this scathing assessment of the Australian Cricket Board was made public. It's just good. I wish I could belong to some type of corporation. But what we've seen in the last 20 years is the total corporatisation of cricket. And cricket as a sport in this country is really going down the gurgler, T20 or not. Now, I don't think there'll be any cricket devotees listening to the anarchist world this week. I I know one would be, but most people think it's a stupid game. I don't know. I used to like it when I was a kid. Not that I could do bowl or catch or bat. None of my strong points. But you know what the corporatisation of cricket means? It means that Mr Murdoch and his Foxtel empire have been able to pounce. That's right, pounce on the cricket dollar. And cricket matches, which silly people like you and me could watch on free-to-air TV or listen to on, you know, uh, free-to-air broadcasting, well, guess what? They've been wrapped up. They've been bought. The corporatised Australian Cricket Board and their corporate mates in Foxtel and Murdoch have signed a very nice deal. Where for a, you know, about a billion dollars, they get all these rights to all these cricket matches. And if you are, well, if you've still got the bug, which I haven't got, but if you've still got the bug and you want to watch it, mate, guess what? You're going to have to pay for the privilege by subscribing to Foxtel. Yep. And filling Murdoch's pockets. Not only do they control rugby league in this country... The Murdoch Empire has a vice-like grip on the rugby league. They now have a vice-like grip on cricket. So do yourself a favour. If you're still interested in cricket, buy a ticket and turn up at the match and watch it live. Don't take out a subscription. Well... You know, if you'd like to augment Mr Murdoch's fortunes, well, take out a subscription. I won't be. There's no way. 
I don't think I'll be watching any cricket this year at all. I've got better things to do in my life than worry about this corporatised sport, a sport which has actually been corporatised by the selection of board members who know more about how to turn a buck and do a trick, turn a trick, than they know about cricket. Yes, you never thought you'd hear me talk about sport. Well, I do talk about sport. What I like, I like to talk about corporatised sport. I like to see, I like to talk about how sport becomes a something that people watch, something that is used that you bet on. You see, you get the betting companies coming in. Yeah, just uh, it's just extraordinary. So, you got any kitties? Get them to join at the at the local level. Maybe a dollar or two will filter through to help buy them a bit of equipment from the Australian Cricket Association, the Cricket Board, but um, who knows? So, I thought I had the gold medal for arrogance. Looks like I've lost it. I'm happy to lose it, but I'll be fighting very hard next year to get it back. You're listening to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia by the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. Just a few little announcements, those of you who are interested. I know not many of you would be interested, but there may be one or two interested. Just like to remind you that on uh, Saturday... No, my apologies. Bad boy, bad boy. That on Sunday, the 11th of November, which isn't very far away... A few of us, maybe a dozen or so, and hopefully you can join us and make it two dozen or three dozen. We'll be going to Murchison Cemetery at Willoughby Street in Murchison. And Murchison is about, oh, it would be at least maybe about 130, 140 kilometres from Melbourne. It's uh, past Nagambi. Go to Seymour, then Nagambi and then Murchison. Now, a few years ago, we discovered that one of our brothers, Francesco Fantine, was buried at the Murchison Ossery. And uh, you're wondering, who's this Francesco Fantine? Well, Francesco Fantine was a refugee, an anarchist refugee from Mussolini's Italy, who made his home here in Australia. Worked on the cane fields and the wooden cane fields in North Queensland and the woolen mills in um, Geelong. Now he died in an internment camp. Well, he didn't actually die; he was murdered at Camp Love Day in South Australia in 1942. Now the Australian government, obviously concerned about, you know a possible fifth column in this country during the Second World War, interned many Italians. But they had a problem. You know what it's like. All Italians look alike. You know, when I, I'm an Italian. Well, I'm of Italian descent. I'm not an Italian. I'm of Italian descent. You know, when I go in a room full of Italians, we all look alike, you know. That's what they tell us anyway. So they had a bit of a problem. So they put in about... 40 socialist anarchists who'd been campaigning actively against the fascist presence 
in Australia. It was a huge present presence because Mussolini spent millions of dollars trying to build a fascist movement amongst the Italians in Australia, sending out doctors in North Queensland, setting up medical clinics, uh, bankrolling organisations, and those exiles that had come, especially the anarchists like Francesco Fantine, were involved in direct action against the fascist government for over two decades. So what did the Australian government do? Well, they rounded up all these Italians because they all look the same. It's difficult to tell them apart. They've all got little beards and slick back hair and brill cream. And put them in the same internment camp as your dinky-dye Italian fascists. So here we were. We had about 40 socialists, anarchists, activists interned with about 600 fascists in the same area. Now, Francesco Fantine was a man who didn't put up with garbage. He'd been an activist all his life. He'd paid the price. He stood up. He refused to give the... He refused to be coward. He refused to give the uh, fascist salute. And he was bludgeoned to death while he was bent over taking a drink from a tap. Yeah, the usual stuff you expect from, you know, the fascist element, you know. You beat a man to death when he's uh, not looking at you, when his head's down, by a 2 before, And the bloke who murdered him did it on the uh, orders of the camp commandment. Commandant. That's the Italian, not the Australian one, but the actual, that section. So, and he got two years in prison. Poor old Francesco was buried outside Camp Love Day. Now, I've got a photograph which has been put on the Francesco Fantine banner, which we take with us to Murchison. And on this photograph, there's a cross, then there's a triangle with Francesco's name on it, and then there's a cross. Now, Francesco was a, an anarchist. He was an atheist. He was an anti-fascist and he was anti-militarist and he paid the ultimate price. A few years after the war, all prisoners of war, Italian prisoners of war, who died in internment camps in Australia and all the internees who died in internment camps in Australia, their bodies were spirited away by the Italian community to this ossuary at Murchison in Victoria. Now, we knew nothing about this till a few years ago when we discovered that Francesco Fantine had been buried there. Now, on the Sunday near, nearest Armistice Day, and this year Armistice Day falls on the 11th of November, the Italian community gathers, the descendants, relatives and friends of those who are buried gathered there at the Murchison Cemetery, which is an Italian, an official Italian war cemetery, to pay their respects to those in there. It's quite... Death is a great equaliser. You've got fascists in there, you've got an anarchist in there, you've got men in there, you've got women in there. And the only thing they have in common is the fact that they died in internment camps around Australia. So this year... Once again, we'll be paying our respects. Now, we're very respectful people. 
The ceremony starts at 10am. There's the usual, you know, stuff. Then there's an Italian mass, a Roman Catholic mass. And at the end of their ceremony, which takes about an hour and a half, we have our ceremony for Francesco Fantine. The reason we go at 10am is that the actual ossuary is opened at about 9.30am. It's only open once a year and it gives us a chance to go inside and pay our respects to Francesco and write in the uh, visitor's book there. So, and after that, which finishes about 12 o'clock, we go down by to the riverbank and have a uh, picnic. Just a bit of a discussion and a picnic. At least he's remembered. Dead in 42, remembered in 2018. He paid the ultimate price because... And he paid the ultimate political price because he was an anarchist, because he was an atheist, because he was an anti-fascist, because he was an anti-militarist. So rest in peace, Francesco Fantine. We will not forget your sacrifice. Join us at the Murchison Cemetery at the Ossery, Willoughby Street in Murchison at 10am. Bring a seat. Ceremony is relatively long. Our ceremony is relatively short, less than 10 minutes, but we don't usually start till they finish their ceremony. We're there all on the same day because the only day at the Ossery is open that we can actually go in and pay our respects. So you don't have to ring anybody, just turn up on the day. 10am, turn up, be part of this remembrance. Now, if you want further information, you can go to www.q7461fantine.org or you can go to my personal Facebook page, Toscana for the Public or Joseph Toscana or you can go to the Anarchist Media Institute webpage, anarchistmedia.org and all the information's there. So uh, if you do come along, bring some food and drinks to put on the communal table after after uh, midday on that day. It's a good day. And it also marks the 100th anniversary, Sunday the 11th of November marks the 100th anniversary of Armistice Day, the day that uh, World War I officially ended. Now those of you who are a bit of history buffs will say, the 11th of the 11th? Well, that's a very important day in Australia. It is an important day. Because as radical activists, we celebrate that day because four significant events happened on that day. On the 11th of November 1854, the Ballarat Reform League, the organisation behind the Eureka Rebellion, was formed. On the 11th of November 1880, Ned Kelly was hung in Pentridge Prison in Melbourne. On the 11th of November 1918 was the end of the war to end all wars, World War I. The 11th of November 1975, we saw the dismissal of the Whitlam Labor government by the Governor-General, the representative of Her Majesty, Queen Lizzie, in Australia. So it is a, a day worth remembering. So if you can't make it to Murchison Ceremony, Spare a fort for those people who've gone before you who've uh, made that sacrifice. You're listening to The Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. And while we're talking about the 11th of November, a little segue to Eureka Day. Yes, the Reclaim, the Radical Spirit of the Eureka Rebellion Group, which is part of the Anarchist Institute, is once again hosting 
Eureka Day in Ballarat from 4am to 10pm. Now, the dawn ceremony will be in Eureka Park at the corner of Eureka and Stall Street in, in Ballarat. And the last event for the day is the dinner at the Queen's Head Hotel, the Eureka Dinner. Uh, where we'll have entertainment and uh, Dr. Anne Sunter Beggs, one of the foremost, well, I think the foremost living Eureka expert in Australia, will be uh, talking about some uh, Eureka uh, heroes. So, again, if you're coming and you want to be sure of a seat to the dinner, uh, try to reserve. You can turn up on the day and take your chances. We can fit between 60 and 90 at a squeeze, the Queen's Head Hotel. You pay for your own food and drinks. It's pretty simple the way it goes. Uh, everybody's welcome. It is a Monday. It is a Monday, Eureka Day, 3rd of December. We don't celebrate. We celebrate the day when it occurs. And this year, it's a Monday. We start at Eureka Park at 4am. This is followed by... Uh, communal breakfast in the Eureka Hall in Eureka Park at around 6. At 9 o'clock we walk up to Bakery Hill, about 2 kilometres. At the site the Eureka Oath was taken. We swear by the Southern Cross to stand truly by each other and fight to defend our rights and liberties. Then we walk to the Ballarat City Hall to see if the Eureka flag has been placed on the main flagpole. Never in the history of the city of Ballarat have they bothered show any respect to the men who were buried in the Eureka Old Ballarat Cemetery by actually flying the Eureka flag on the main flagpole on Eureka Day. And I don't expect the conservative mob that's currently in charge of the Ballarat City Council to actually do any different this year. Then we walk from there to the Old Ballarat Cemetery to pay our respects to the dead, those men who were buried in a mass grave, not all the people who died, uh, during the Eureka battle are buried there, but about half of them are. And then from there we walk back to Ballarat Trades Hall for a bit of a barbie, late lunch and a drink or two. Then we walk back to the Eureka Centre to have a look at the Eureka flag. From there we just have a bit of a snooze and then at 7pm uh, is the Eureka dinner at the Queen's Head Hotel. So it's a long day. 4am to 10pm, it's a very long day but it's something you should do once in your lifetime and this year it falls on uh, Monday the 3rd of December and obviously you're all welcome. Okay, let's move on. We've got other things to think about. You've got to hand it to the banks, you know. Oh, I love them. Well, I had to storm out of one late last, uh, what, last week. I couldn't stand it anymore. I just couldn't stand it anymore so I just stormed out. Sometimes you've got to do things, you know. I'm a citizen, not a customer. You know, today's the last day. Now, if you listen to this program on the 31st of October, you're a lucky person because today is the day that flexi commissions become illegal. Now, the banks, the big banks, were hauled through the coals during the Financial Royal Commission and they could have, they could have quite clearly stopped these flexi commissions months ago. Now, a flexi commission is a very simple commission. You know, 
you go and buy a car at a used car yard, okay? You can't afford a new car. And you ain't got the pennies in your pocket, but you need the wheels in order to get around, in order to do your work, okay? Or ferry the kiddies or the friends around. You go into the car yard, they shake your hand, you find a lemon, you, you say, oh, sorry, I ain't got any money. And they say, it's all right, mate, it's all right. Or mate it's all right, miss, mate, mister, whoever. We can get you really good deal. You go, oh, yeah, I need those wheels. They save a 16% interest over the life of the car. You can drive it out now. And you go, wow, where do I sign? Well, what happens is the used car salespeople are acting as basically as agents for the banks. If they can squeeze 18% interest out of you or 14% interest out of you, the commission they get, uh, you know, a, a continuing flexi commission over the life of the loan, increases. So instead of offering you a 10% interest rate, you get a 16 and 18% interest rate on a car loan, and most likely a lemon which is going to fall apart in a few years' time, and you're going to have to continue to pay off that loan. Now these type of arrangements were made have, are made are illegal. You cannot charge. The banks cannot pay used car salespeople flexi commissions from the 1st of November. Now, the banks knew they were gouging people before this. These deals had been aired publicly during the Banking Royal Commission. They were asked by the Royal Commissioners whether they were going to stop this, and they said, no, we will wait till the law changes before we stop fleecing people. It's extraordinary, isn't it? Makes me think. Remember we had the, the great financial crisis, you like that? The GFC, the Great Financial Crisis in 2008. The government stepped up and bailed out the banks. But instead of saying to them, look boys, look girls, we're bailing you out. We think it's bad that if you go under, people are not going to be very happy. We need to bail you out, but I'm sure there's a cost. And the cost is very simple, that we're going to put 25% of your board are going to be government appointees to ensure you do the right thing by your customers. If the government had the courage in 2008 when it actually gave this unreserved guarantee, which put a floor, a financial floor under the banks, to say... We're happy to give you the guarantee if 25% of your board is government appointed so we can keep an eye on what's happening you know, in these banks. I am sure many of the things, you know, the criminal activity that was actually highlighted, the banking criminal activity that was highlighted during the Banking Royal Commission wouldn't have occurred. But no, once again, we gave up that opportunity. Let the market decide, we were told. Well, look, as I said, I'm stupid. I must be stupid to come here every week for the last 41 years and do the anarchist world this week. you think by now I would have learnt, you know, there's no point bashing your head against a brick wall because all you do is get a, you know, lacerated scalp and a headache. And you think 
You know, but you know, capitalism is a very simple concept. Whether you like it or not, whether you support it or not, it's very simple. The essence of capitalism is to create profit, okay? Irrespective of the human, social, environmental, national costs. That is the essence. You don't make a profit in a capitalist society. You go under. You don't look after your shareholders who provide the capital for you to run your business if your company's publicly listed on the stock exchange. You go under. So the banks and the financial sector and the used car business and the shops selling you, you know, things... They're all based on this concept that they need to make a profit in order to survive and prosper, okay? So obviously, if there are no laws, if governments stand on, you know, sit on their hands and say, let the market decide, hmm? let the market decide as if the market is some type of living, breathing, thinking entity, you know, the market's created by human beings. Let the market decide. Well, obviously, the market's got to do everything it can to maximise profits, irrespective of, as I said, the human, social, environmental costs. They're going to squeeze their customers. They're going to abuse their staff as long as the dividend increases, keeps their, you know, shareholders happy. And that's the role of government. Well, it wasn't the role traditionally. Traditionally, the role of government... Well, the state was very simple, was to keep all the, to keep people under control, to ensure that those who exercise power continue to exercise power without that power being challenged. Well, because the revolutionary and social and reformist movements during the 19th and early 20th century, the state, through governments, was forced to look after the interests of the community as a whole. Not because they wanted to, but the nature of the state changed. Now, over the last 40 years, yes, I'm going to use the, the magic names, the four horsemen of the apocalypse. During the last 40 years, all those gains that were made during the previous 80 years through the blood, sweat and tears and lives of countless unnamed, forgotten men and women who we owe our current situation to, you know, because of their sacrifices, have been turned on their heads through the deregulation, privatisation, corporatisation, globalisation revolution which has swept the country. And we are now reaping the dividends of allowing the market to decide. Extraordinary. I'll give you a few examples. Now, the Victorian Labor government, which uh, thinks that it's going to win a uh, great thumping majority at the, next, at the uh, Victorian state election on the 24th of November, well, the Victorian Labor government privatised the docks. That's right, privatised the docks. You know, 100-year lease or something, 70-year lease. Guess what? Privatised 18 months ago, two years ago, whatever it is. Fees in some sectors have increased by 2 thousand percent and these fees obviously are then directed at consumers prices go up they've just privatized the titles office an office which provided a public service service to ensure that people's people knew about their titles they could get access to them 
I can assure you over the next 40 years, price, prices to make inquiries are going to skyrocket. Just extraordinary. But that's what we've allowed to happen. Now, talking about things we've allowed to happen, we have allowed as a community, we have allowed public housing to become a non-issue. Both the state government in Victoria, the Labor government, and the Liberal opposition in Victoria are hell-bent on privatising what's left, the, the dregs, what are left of the public housing sector, little bits here and there. And interestingly, public housing is not an election issue at this state election. That's right. Not an election issue of no interest to anybody except us. Now, public housing is everybody's business, whether we like it or not. Because the concept of having a strong public housing sector competing in the same marketplace as the private sector is fundamental, not only to dealing with homelessness and desperation, but it's fundamental to changing the idea that housing is a right, that everybody should actually have secure access to secure, affordable housing in this community. So we are holding... Public Housing Everybody's Business is holding a 10-day vigil. That's right, a 10-day vigil. From the 14th to the 24th of November, on the steps of the Victorian Parliament House, what's left of the steps, two-thirds have been boarded up, so-called, you know, renovation work. I wouldn't be surprised they're all boarded up by the time we turn up on the 14th of November. But that doesn't matter. The vigil will go on. From the 14th to the 24th of November, the... And the idea is to make public housing everybody's business. Public housing should be a mechanism via which people who can never enter the private housing market because of the extraordinary prices people need to pay have access to secure housing. A strong public housing sector puts downward pressure on rents and decreases rents. A strong public housing sector puts downward pressure on homes at the lower end of the market and gives people the opportunity to buy on the wages they currently earn. So public housing is everybody's business. So we'll be using our bodies on those 10 days from 10am to the 14th of November to the 24th of November or to the day we are removed during that period, forcefully removed by the state from the steps of the Parliament House to make public housing everybody's business an election issue. And that election in Victoria will be held on the 24th of November. Now, I will be broadcasting, not only about doing the 10-day vigil, I will be broadcasting for the st- from the steps of the Victorian Public House, uh, Parliament House from 10am to 11am on Wednesday the 24th of November and the vigil will start at midday. And I'll also be broadcasting the Anarchist World this week, if we're still there, we haven't been moved on, on the 21st of November. But... There is one missing ingredient. Now, I'll be making a special announcement next week regarding the Minister for Housing, Mr Martin Foley. But the missing ingredient is you. This attempt to make public housing a major election issue at the Victorian state election is totally 
dependent, 100% dependent on the amount of people we can mobilise during those 10 days to make this a significant issue. Because if either of the major party wins a majority in their own right, I can give you a 100% guarantee that's what's left of the public housing sector will be fully privatised within the next four years. And if the Greens gain the balance of power, well, then it could be a different matter because they have a strong public housing policy. Now, next week I'll be making a special announcement regarding this particular campaign because it's beginning to take off. It needs more support. You don't have to ring anybody. You don't have to write in anywhere. You don't have to email anybody. Just turn up midday the 14th of November, which is a Wednesday, to midnight the 24th of November, which is a Saturday, which is the election eve. I mean, whether we win or lose is irrelevant. What's relevant is there are some people in this society who are willing to put people before railway crossings. That's right. People before railway crossings. And people say to you, where's the money coming from, Joe? Where's the money coming from? Well, we have a simple... That's right, we are simple people. Therefore, you and I are simple people. Because, you know, we want simple things like an egalitarian community, access to services for everybody, reasonable... You know, we just, we're simple people. We want simple things. Well, we've got a simple solution. Now, last year, last financial year, the Victorian state government raised $6 billion. I'll repeat it again. They raised $6 billion, B-I-L-L-I-O-N, billion dollars from stamp duty revenue. And obviously they raised another $3 billion from land tax, but that's a different matter. Stamp duty. So what is stamp duty? Now, most of you wouldn't know what stamp duty is because if you listen to the Anarchist Will this week, I assume you're not a house owner or you've got a mortgage. Well, some of you will have mortgages or own your own homes, the majority won't. Well, stamp duty is if you ever get the joy of going to an auction and buying a home or buying a home privately or a unit or a flat or a dog box, well, not a dog box, I exaggerate, you pay stamp duty to the government. You pay the government for the privilege of buying a home. Now, wouldn't it be sensible, wouldn't it be sensible if the money which is raised by the government through stamp duty is quarantined for public housing? That makes sense. Even I think it makes sense. You know, and I don't think very straight at all, as you know. So, what would that do? Well, we could get rid of the waiting list in a year by spot purchasing twenty to 25,000 homes and units across the state, which would get rid of the waiting list. You could get rid of homelessness in two weeks. And... You could house one million Victorians, that would be about 20% of the population, in public housing by 2029. So this battle is not just about homelessness and people in dire 
emergency situations. This is about changing the concept of what public housing should be for. And when public housing was initially established in the 50s, when returned servicemen and women came back to this country and demanded a few crumbs for defending this country, public housing was not just for an emergency accommodation. Public housing was to allow people who could not afford to buy in the private marketplace is to allow them to have secure affordable accommodation which was limited the rent to 25% of their income and more importantly it allowed their children to grow up in the same area go to the same schools go to the same sporting groups form friendships, not be moved around every year or two because some landlord or some landlady, you know, wants to hike up the rent. So it's about security. And security means there's security for the whole population because it means that there is less social dislocation, less crime, less violence, less interpersonal issues. And it all revolves around housing, public housing. Everybody's business. So join us from the 14th of November to the 24th of November. Next week on the 7th of November, we're making a special announcement regarding this campaign. Listen to the Anarchist World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program is streaming live on 3cr.org.au. The program is podcast. You can access the podcast by going to 3cr.org.au. .org.au. My name is Joseph Toscan. I'm hosting today's program. It gets better. That's right. Well, not really. Now, I never thought I would say this, but I, I'm, I'm feeling, I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling sad for the Victorian Liberal Party. Very sad. Now, I expect a bit of competition because I want a hung Parliament so that public housing continues to to function. But it looks like the Labor Party, not the Labor Party, the Liberal Party is on a road to nowhere. Just 24 hours ago, the tr- party treasurer, Mr David Mond, sent out a little email to committee members stating that the, the Muse, the Liberal Party incarnate, Mr Kroger, the numbers man, was a self-serving, autocratic, responsible for self-serving autocratic behaviour and rantings. Can't believe it. And now and the party treasurer was pissed off that Mr Kroger, who sees himself as the leading light of the Liberal Party in Victoria, took the took the McCormick Foundation the McCormick, McCormick Foundation, which is a basically a foundation that raises money for the Liberal Party to the federal to the uh, Supreme Court because it wanted a bit of money and they wouldn't give it to them. And they lost $1.1 million in legal fees. Just extraordinary. Now, if you're a Liberal, get your act together. We want a hung parliament. We want the Greens to hold the balance of power in order to ensure that public housing continues in the state of Victoria. I mean, if this goes on, I'll have to go and campaign for you. You've been listening to The Atticus World this week, broadcast across Australia via the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. My name is Joseph Toscano. 
If you'd like to find out more about the program, more about myself, more about anarchism, more about the meaning of life, no, this is not Monty Python. You can access, you can go to a number of media sites, anarchismedia.org. You can go public interest before corporate interest. We're about to make up that uh, web page, hopefully in the next six to eight weeks. Uh, if you want to become a member of public interest before corporate interest, download, download the application form from Pibci, P-I-B-C-I dot net. Public interest before corporate interest was formed in 2015. We use direct action like the public housing everybody's business campaign and we're also trying to be registered as a federal political party. Not for the next federal election but for the election after that in uh, 2022. Yes, we do think ahead. Now the number of web pages you can go to as a sister anarchismedia.org Peter Norman Commemoration Committee webpage. You can go to the Tanaminuwe Mōbōhina Commemoration webpage. And don't forget that the next Tanaminuwe Mōbōhina Commemoration will be on the 20th of January 2019 at the Memorial, which we were responsible for. You can um, go to my personal Facebook page, Toscano for the Public, or Joseph Toscano, and the list goes on and on. Now, you can leave messages on 0439 395 489, 0439 395 489. You can email me at anarchistage at yahoo.net. Anarchistage at yahoo, anarchistage at yahoo.net. Or you can go to the Pipsy website. Now, if you're interested in finding out more about the Francesco Fantine, you can go to the Anarchist Media Institute website, anarchistmedia.org. Or you can go to the Fantine webpage, q7461fantine.org, q7461fantine.org. Thank you for listening to the Anarchist World this week on your local community radio station courtesy of the community radio network now don't forget that this program will be coming live from the steps of the victorian parliament house from 10 a.m to 11 a.m on wednesday the 14th of november and if we're still there on the 21st we'll be coming live from the steps of the victorian parliament from 10 a.m to 11 a.m A.M. Thank you once again for listening to the Anarchist World this week on the Community Radio Network. This program has been streaming live on 3cr.org.au. You can write to me at Post Office Box 20, Parkville 3052. Evil minds that plot destruction, sorcerer of death's construction. An analysis you'll never hear anywhere else. Anarchist World This Week, Australia's Sacred Cow Slaughterhouse. 10am every Wednesday. Listen to the Anarchist World This Week for an up-to-date analysis of local, national and international events. Poisoning their brainwashed minds. Oh, Lord, yeah.